Uh, I was doing, I was sharing the devotional, and as I'm going through it, um, I'm thinking, you know, this really needs to be a Sunday topic. And uh, I've never done this, and I did not do it on Wednesday, but, you know, it's almost like I, I probably should have just stopped, said, you know what, let's just, and then said, shared something that just popped in my mind and saved this for Sunday, but I had so much to say, so, you know, if you were with us on Wednesday night, you're get, you were, it was a prelude to today and then possibly next Sunday, because what I'm going to talk about is what I talked about on Wednesday, so for some of you there will be some repeated things, but these are... These are important things. And as I think back to the history of our church and other churches, and I'm very aware of their history, this topic has got to be one of the most important practical issues that affect churches, that determine whether a church is going to grow and be built up or whether the church is going to be torn down uh, and severed. And and you have both examples uh, all around. We're going to talk about the tongue. The title of the message is, Your Most Powerful Weapon. And again, we'll probably go to two weeks for this. I'm going to take my time with it. I want to share my heart. uh, Because there is nothing that has affected me more over the last three decades than the tongue. And um, so we talked about it, and here's how I began. I want to just share with you that in, when, we, when I pastored in Lancaster, many of you know I started, I pastored, I started in the ministry in 1988, pastoring a church in Lancaster County for three years. So I met a lot of pacifists. In Lancaster County, Mennonites, Amish, maybe a Quaker or two, and they embrace as part of their doctrine, part of their teaching, what is called pacifism. Have you ever heard of pacifism? Pacifism is the belief that it is always wrong to um, physically resist evil. Pacifists, you'll have, you know, that's where you get conscientious objectors. People that, based on conviction, moral, religious conviction, refuse to take up arms. And so many of them will get exempt from military service. Uh, I've mentioned one of my favorite black and white movies, which would probably be boring to me now if I watched it with Sergeant York. Uh, but I'm going to, got planned to watch it with my son-in-law and my daughter, uh, Sergeant York. How many of you have seen Sergeant York? All right. Is it good or is it not good? I, I think it is. And I'm just about ready to break into a couple quotes from Gary Cooper, but I'm not going to do that. But it's very accurate, and and it shows you, because there was a man named Alvin York who served in the First World War. When he was drafted, he had just gotten saved, and he really struggled with, I can't shoot another human being. And that movie does a pretty good job of portraying the battle and the agony that went on in his mind as he wrestled with that. And it ended up... Amazingly, he became a World War I hero for defending America. And, you know, but he had to wrestle with those things. So the whole idea of pacifism brings up this idea that we'll go to in a minute. But in Mark chapter 12 and verse 29, and this verse is repeated 
by Jesus in Mark chapter 3 and verse 27. So Matthew 12, 29, Mark 3, 23, or 3, 27. Jesus made this statement. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house? So those of you that are, you know, have a household where there's a dad, you know, the strong man, the protector of the house. What's Jesus saying? Is he not implying that there are times when it is appropriate to physically resist evil? If someone's going to come in and break in your house, and we've gone over this before, the implication is he's got to first bind the strong man. Now, if I was going to break into someone's house, and I knew they had a lot of money there, and the husband was a big, bulky guy, and he said, Don't worry, I am a pacifist. I will not resist you at all. Help yourself. Okay, then is there any need to bind me? Or to bind him, rather. Not bind you. There is a need to bind me. There's no need to bind him if, he, if you know he's not going to physically resist you. So the implication is there are times when men, we need to stand up especially and protect our families. And that brings an issue, which we'll look at this verse in a little bit, of really, this startled me when I first saw this verse in Luke. Um, Luke 22, if you want to mark your spot, we're going to be heading there. Jesus made an amazing statement that seemed to go against everything that I had thought growing up that really surprised me. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, told his disciples to do this, and it had to do with the sword, a weapon. And then we're going to make the transition, folks, because weapons are dangerous. Did you know that? Weapons are dangerous. And I believe you and I have a weapon. Most every one of us have the use of a weapon that is our most powerful weapon. And you and I need to, in the same way, and I shared, I'll share this again, Wednesday night, I've taken my kids to hunter safety courses, and uh, it's interesting that they spend a lot of time on gun safety. And the more I thought on it, the more I realized, you know what? There is a lot of parallels between the instructions on how to be safe with a gun and how to be safe with our tongue. And we need to really, too many Christians don't look at their tongue as if it's a weapon. And those are the ones that are careless about their words. And it's, it's like they walk in and just start shooting up everything with their mouth. And, and there's so much damage that can be done with our tongues. So what I want to do over the next two weeks is I want to equip you to start looking at that little thing in your mouth as a weapon because it is and it needs to be handled so carefully it is and can be so dangerous i believe it's your most powerful weapon so we're going to look at that let's bow in prayer again just commit the message to the lord father we have two weeks ahead of us here today and next sunday that we want to i want to discuss these very important things and i just ask your help father help me to articulate the things that uh, you've taught me over the years the things I've experienced and, and help me to lay it out properly 
scripturally. Uh, Lord, may, may we step back and reconsider how we use these tongues of ours. And Father, help us to take responsibility for uh, how we have used our tongues. We ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. We're going to go back. We'll go to James eventually. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Do you know the Bible talks about weapons? What? Now, if you're an Amish or Mennonite brother, especially Mennonite, I think Mennonite's closer to uh, the gospel, and a lot of Mennonites are saved, whereas a lot of Amish uh, really emphasize works as a means of salvation. Uh, and yet they both have the same history going back to Menno Simons and so forth. But it's interesting that the Bible actually talks about weapons. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. It says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The idea of that is they're not physical, of the physical realm. The weapons of our warfare, and by the way, there is an our warfare. Did you know that? There is a war going on. Say, yeah. How about that in the Ukraine? No, 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 I'm not talking about that. There's another war going on in America and every country where there's human beings. And it's a spiritual world, spiritual war. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, physical, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We are in a battle. And every conflict demands that we be armed and prepared for that battle. And the spiritual world is no different. You and I need to understand there is a battle going on. There is a war, a spiritual war. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Very similar to what he's saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But we wrestle against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a whole category. There's a spiritual battle going on. And so the Bible uses this term weapon. The Bible addresses weapons. So what is a weapon? Well, let me give you first the first definition, because this is the one that Paul is saying, these are not, you know, we don't, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And that's the first definition of a weapon. Um, uh, the weapon, a weapon, is, um, it's a, uh, where's my definition? It's a, I wrote down what the most powerful weapon is. I didn't write down the definition of the physical weapon. Anybody know, and don't, I'm not asking for feedback, just, theory, you know, do you know what the most powerful physical weapon has ever been and the hydrogen bomb and specifically one you may not have heard of the the czar bomb t-s-a-r the czar bomb which was made in russia and uh nicknamed ivan and it was even more powerful than the fat boy the one that was used on the two for 
Hiroshima and Nagasaki. This this um, Ivan was way more powerful, the most powerful bomb ever created. And when it was tested, and it was tested, they kind of halved the power of it because it, the destruction would have been so great. So even just testing it, and um, it was the most powerful nuclear weapon ever detonated. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 22. This is that verse I was talking about. Luke chapter 22. Jesus is sending out his disciples, preparing them for gospel ministry and going out into the world. And he makes a very amazing statement that depending on your understanding of who Jesus is, it may not fit with your worldview or your religious view. And it's very evident that a lot of people have struggled with this verse. And you always have to be careful when you approach a scripture verse and say, that can't mean what I think it means. That can't be what I think it says. And this is one of them. Look at Luke 22, verse 36. Jesus is challenging his disciples. And it says, Then said he unto them, But now, he that hath a purse, that would be like a wallet, let him take it, and likewise his script, that would be like a satchel or a backpack. In other words, if you don't have them, get them. And here's the the amazing statement. He that hath no sword... Let him sell his garment and buy one. What? Jesus is telling his disciples to get a weapon? Because that was the weapon of the day. You know, he didn't say go out and buy a handgun or a machine. They didn't have that. So the the sword was the, the weapon of the day. And Jesus is saying to go out and buy them? What? And again, if you if you were brought up, and, and I think so many more people are under the influence of this pacifist teaching, is that, well, Jesus was the Prince of Peace, so it's always wrong to resist. And and Christians should not have any kind of weapons. That's not scriptural. In fact, just thinking of our application of this, every Christian that has the ability to talk has a weapon. And that's what I want to get in your mind. But it's interesting to see how some people have interpreted this. In fact, look at, again, Luke chapter 22 and verse 28 and how folks will respond. Luke chapter 22, verse 36. He that hath a purse, let him take it. Likewise, his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Now look at verse 38. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. What? So they heard him say, if you don't have any swords, go get some. They brought two with them, said, okay, we got two swords. He said, it's enough. Now it's interesting to see some people are like, wait, this does not compute. This can't be. And so they give it a little twist. It's amazing how many people will, you know, they have a problem with the scripture, and instead of letting the scripture talk to it for itself, they read into it, it, as I understand. And here's how I heard one commentator say it, and I've seen this several times. When Jesus said, it is enough, he was not condoning that they went and bought two swords. 
He's actually shaming them as if they misinterpreted what he said. And so when he says, it is enough, he's saying, that's enough now. That, that's enough. You don't understand what I was saying. And that's not, that's not, I don't think that's clearly what he's saying. So again, the challenge is, are, have, is, is owning a sword or a weapon immoral? I used to think so. The way I was brought up, it was just like, that's, you know, weapons are dangerous. And, and many in America, maybe you were brought up that way, and, and so a lot of us are thinking, weapons are evil. By the way, you, you cannot make good people helpless. You do not, how is that worded? I wish I'd written that down. You don't make good people, you can't, I know, here it is, other way around. You do not make bad people harmless by making good people helpless. That's an, that's an incredibly important point. Let me try and say it again without forgetting it. You cannot make bad people harmless by making good people helpless. So let's talk about this idea. And I know it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, weapons are dangerous. And if you sense that right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to now think about your tongue. Weapons are dangerous. The tongue is our most powerful weapon. And it is dangerous. So I want you to look at James chapter 3 now. Let's go to our text, James chapter 3. There is a weapon that every one of us carries if, that have the ability to speak. And it is identified here in its deadly power in James chapter 3, beginning of verse 6. James chapter 3, beginning of verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Wow, that's pretty strong terminology, wouldn't you say? I mean, this is is tongue. The tongue is deadly. It's a fire. By the way, the word that I lost, that, you know, the original word for weapon... And the word that's used in Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, it's, it originally goes back to a tool. It was a tool. And in the definition, a weapon is a tool that is used to defend or attack. And so I want you to think of this idea of a weapon as a tool because we have various tools, do we not? For different reasons. A hammer, screwdriver, saw are tools used for building. And and then there's other tools. Fire could be considered a tool. I remember one year being very frustrated with, with the snow, shoveling. And I had this great idea. I, I tend to have these great ideas. Like with my my girlfriend and eventually my wife's, you know, Mr. Tom Tomkowitz's have a built-in pool. And I remember um, 
I remember sometimes the water would get so hot. And I think I might have told my father-in-law and said, you know, why don't we put a bunch of ice in the pool? Like, you're talking about an in-ground pool with lots and lots of water. And here's my brilliant mind. I'm thinking, okay, you just took a couple buckets of ice and pour it in there. It's going to drop the temperature. Well, I, I tend to have those kind of ideas. So one, one year, when it was really snowy out, I was just so frustrated with the ice and all, I thought, I know, a propane torch. You know, plumbing? I had one? That's the answer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a propane torch, and I'm going to start, go out there, and, and in a minutes, maybe, you know, 20 minutes, I'm going to have that driveway cooled, you know, cleared off and dry. And, you know, you ever see a little propane torch? <laughs> well, it took me, I mean, it took me like probably half an hour to do a little section. I'm like, you know what? This is pretty futile. It's like throwing ice in a big, in a big, uh, big pool. And I saw online recently that, that I'm not the only one that had that brilliant idea. A guy actually had a flamethrower. And he was doing his driveway with a flamethrower. And I, I looked at that and I'm like, I got to get one of them. <laughs> Yeah, that would be dangerous. But, you know, fire is a tool, uh, and it, it can be very destructive, right? And, and that's James's point here in verse 6. Or look at verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member. And that's why we tend to downplay it. We tend to overlook it. We tend to minimize it. Our tongues are so small. Our words are so insignificant. I mean, we say things all the time. We talk. And we don't really look at it as our words are so very powerful that the tongue, verse 6, is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that defileth the whole body. And setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Verse 8. The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Wow. That's pretty powerful, is it not? Our tongue is a weapon. Proverbs 18 and verse 21 says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I want you to think about that. That little thing that's in your mouth, and you might overlook or not really think about it, the power of death, the power of life is in that little member. I've read a quote recently. That um, and, and I've read it from the pulpit either once or twice within the last year or so. I just came across it. I shared it on Wednesday night. And it's, it's one of those things that if you had read this quote to me 33 years ago when I first went in the ministry, if you had read that to me, I would, my response would have been, oh, isn't that cute? That's so quaint. You know, that's the way I would have looked at it. But after pastoring for three and a half decades... This quote, and just as I read it, every little phrase in my mind just brings out 
emotion. And to me, I, I read this recently, and I'm like, whoa! This is profound. And again, a couple decades ago, I would have said, oh, little cutesy little saying. Now when I read it, each phrase, I'm going to read it to you in a minute, each phrase brings up with inside of me incredible emotions. It brings up my history. It brings up relationships and things people have said. And, and I can't read this and be neutral because it so articulates the power of words. And I want you to realize this. I want you to realize how powerful your tongue is, either for good or bad. Here's what he, It's a pastor named Tim Challies. Never heard of him until recently. Um, I don't know where he stands. I do know he lost a child and wrote about it, blogs about it. Very, very, very powerful stuff. And then this statement. Here's what he said. Words have immense power. Power to do such good and power to do such harm. Words can strengthen the weak or crush them. Comfort the sorrowful or grieve them. Relieve the burdened or weigh them down all the more. Words can be a taste of life or a savor of death. A scent of heaven or a whiff of hell. They can do the work of God or of the devil. They can serve the cause of Christ or of his enemies. Words are so wonderful and so terrible. So beautiful. And so horrible, so precious, and so dreadful. Man, that I, I don't know how you, you know, you might be like me 30 years ago. Oh, isn't that a cutesy saying? Pastor, I'm so glad you shared that. Let's move on. But maybe you've got, maybe as you get older, maybe, I mean, there's, there's history with that. Every one of those statements, both positive and negative, bring in my mind things that people have said. The positives that just built me up and the negatives that have just torn me down. There have been two times in, as pastoring in this church that I was tempted to leave pastoring. Now, I'm going to share one with you next week, Lord willing. But both of them have to do with words. That's it. And actually they weren't words that really were directed at me. Stay tuned next week. <laughs> but, man, words are so powerful. So powerful. What, what words could someone say that would cause me to want to leave pastoring? Words are that powerful. Again, Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, the religious authorities, during Jesus' day... They used very sharp words to condemn Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ did not share the same interpretation of the Hebrew Scriptures as he did. Isn't that amazing? Oh yeah, you're going to rebuke Jesus. 
It's amazing. Because he didn't hold to your interpretation of the scriptures. That's amazing to me. And Jesus pointed out that their words were evil because their hearts were evil. Listen to what he said. He said, how can ye... And in other words, as only Jesus could, their words had no impact on him. I mean, he's God. And he's the one that would speak and knock down a bunch of soldiers. He's the one that would speak the world into existence. So he is more powerful than words. And he understood that the blather that came out of the Pharisee's mouth was emptiness. And didn't even need, he just rebuked them. And he said this, how can ye being evil speak good things? See folks, our mouth reveals where our heart is. And if our heart is not right with God, and by the way, you don't have to be a, a reprobate to have a heart that's not right with God. I know preachers whose utterances are blather. And they're not worthy of being addressed even. How can ye, being evil, speak good things? For, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And then in that context, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, he said this. Keep, keep in mind, and this again is where I want to lay out to you. I want you to feel like you and I should be considering going to the courthouse and getting our tongues registered. You know, that we should have a permit to carry these tongues of ours. I want you to just get that in your mind. Because that's how powerful they are. And here's what he said. Every idle word that men shall speak. In fact, turn there if you have your Bible. Matthew chapter 12. And I'm going there because I want to check out uh, the Defined Study Bible. And, and I didn't get a chance to look at the note here. Matthew chapter 12. I'm almost sure there's going to be a, a note. Maybe not. Matthew chapter 12. Where did they put the book of Matthew again? Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. Matthew 12. Matthew 12 and verse 36. Yes. Thank you, Defined Study Bible. Verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word, and there's a note and literally, if I'm, let me make sure I get it right, every worthless, useless, or Greek, lazy. Some, def, some tr uh, translations put the word careless. But see, the word idle has changed over the years since the King James Version was published. So when you, you know, we think of idle as it's just sitting idle, but the idea is it's a careless word. It's, it's again, it's a. Um, a worthless or useless word. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Sometimes we think through our words really strongly. You know, we, we spend a lot of time thinking of our words, especially if you're right. Who writes anymore? We type. But, I remember being told that when you, send a, when you write a letter, especially if you're writing it out of your emotions, 
put it aside when you're done and then go back and read it in a few days. And, and I made a practice to do that. If I'm writing something or I'm in the middle of something passionate, I'm going to go back and recheck it. And every single time, I always change it. You know, there, I, I used to not. <laughs> so anything I wrote like 25 years ago, would you just throw it out? Okay, because, because you have to look back and re-examine things. Every idle word. Some words we say in the heat of the moment and we don't think through. It's a careless word. It's a lazy word. It's a worthless word. But folks, we're not just going to answer for the words that we've well thought out. We're going to answer for those, ger- uh, those words that just slipped off our tongue without thinking about it. And we have to take responsibility for that. That's why we have to look at our words and our tongue as a lethal weapon. Again, we have to look at it so seriously. Every idle word, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, every idle word that men shall speak thereof, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. 4, verse 37. And whenever I think of this verse, I think of a commercial I used to hear on the radio. And the the guy that was, I forget, it was some kind of, it was some product, maybe software, but started out and he said, people will judge you by the words you speak. You ever hear someone say that? That's true, isn't it? People judge us by the words we speak. Well, people shouldn't judge us. Oh yeah, listen to what the Bible says. Jesus said this. And again, this is in Matthew chapter 12, in verse 37. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words... Thou shalt be condemned. That's how powerful our words are. And and not only on judgment day are we going to answer for everything that comes out of our mouth. And by the way, praise God. If you're not saved, the implications of just that simple statement that you're going to answer for every little thing that comes out of your your mouth, that means if you're if you're honest, you are in big trouble with God. Just think of the the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for he will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. You know, if you use the word Jesus, or Lord, or God, as as a profanity or a cursing, you've used his name in vain, God's not going to hold you guiltless. I hope... As I say that, it sinks in. And you realize that you have sinned against God. And if that sin is not dealt with, you're in big trouble. Now, for those of us that have already realized we're in big trouble with God, and we are on our way to hell, and Jesus came to shed His blood and die on a cross so we wouldn't face the condemnation we deserve, and we cried out to God to save us. And according to his word, he promises, he saves all who believe on him. Well, praise God, folks. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I can think back of things I've said hastily. I knew I was in big trouble with God. In fact, think about it. If you keep the whole law and you offend at one point, you're guilty of all. I mean, that means we are doomed. We need to get saved as quick as possible. We need to get that sin under the blood of Christ. And now that we have, for many of you I believe are born again, you're saved. 
I want to I impress upon you that we still need to take our words seriously. Yes, when we stand before God, we will not be condemned for all those stupid things we said. They're under the blood. But that doesn't mean we can just... You know how some Christians, they're like, well, I know I'm going to be forgiven. I'll just do this sin and then confess after it. Wrong attitude. We need to take our words seriously. And again, if I can impress on you, let's start to treat our tongues as the lethal weapon that they are. I read about an interview that was done by an FBI agent named Avinuam Sapir. And this was way back in 1997. He is a language analysis or analyst. And he, apparently on an interview with CNN, from what I read, he replayed, they replayed an interview of two parents who had a, a child that was kidnapped and then killed. And, you know, it was a big mystery back then. And I think over, over the years, the dad started to be questioned and come under suspicion. And this FBI analyst examined this interview that is recorded and there for all to see. And he went through bit by bit in this article and he said, okay, now the, the dad said this. And he said, now here's what this reveals. And then he said, someone that's innocent would have responded this way. And they, I mean, they just kind of nitpicked the guy's words. At first I'm like, whoa, man, that's pretty, uh, you know, picayune. But when you, when you looked at it and when you think of what Jesus said, by our words we're going to be justified and by our words we're going to be condemned. And when you, when you go through that interview, you're like, wow. Our words really do reveal a lot about us, more than we would think. So I want to ask you something. If your words reveal a lot about who you are, what do your words say about you? Because people will judge you according to what Jesus said by the words you speak. They will. Again, next week I'm going to share just one example but words represent, you know, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Words represent the things that are in our heart. And the issues of life, the issues of life. Keep thy heart, Proverbs says. Keep thy heart, guard thy heart. For out of it are the issues of life. So words, again, like, like the Pharisees and their words, Jesus responded to them, used them for teaching, and he is omnipotent God. He's the one that speaks and things happen. But you and I are a little different. Words affect us, do they not? Words, I, honestly, just to share with you, I mentioned it, and I'm going to share an example, but even more than that, I never realized, when I entered the ministry, I never realized how big of a part words would play in my mental health, in my 
existence in my ministry, I never realized. Uh, there have been things that people have said that have just inspired me and made me want to just keep on keeping on. And then there have been words that people have said that just, again, as let me just, I'm going to close, in fact, with this quote again, because we're going to pick up with this next week. I'm going to just take my time through this. And again, here's my goal. When we're done next Sunday, after, at the end of this message, next Sunday, I want us to walk away a little more somber, a little more aware, as if, here's what I want, as if when you leave next Sunday, it's like all of a sudden you feel something on your side. And you're like, what is this? And, and you feel this piece of metal. And all of a sudden you realize, there's a gun! You know? You're like, oh my goodness, how did that get there? Now if you are a pacifist, you're going to have a real problem with that. But, but you see, with a weapon carries great responsibility. Next week, we're going to look at some of the things they train people who carry weapons and use weapons, even just for hunting, the hunter's safety. And, and I want you to see that the exact same things they say about gun safety would apply to tongue safety. Really? So are you licensed to carry that tongue of yours? So again, next week when you're leaving here, you're not going to feel any metal. Nobody's going to sneak a gun in your holster or whatever in your pocket. But all of a sudden, I want you to be conscious of this thing that's in your mouth. And realize that every time you open it, you could be blessing someone big time or tearing someone down. Again, I'll close with this. Words have immense power. Power to do such good and power to do such harm. Words can strengthen the weak or crush them. Comfort the sorrowful or grieve them. Relieve the burdened or weigh them down all the more. Words can be a taste of life or a savor of death. A scent of heaven or a whiff of hell. They can do the work of God or of the devil, serve the cause of Christ or of his enemies. Words are so wonderful and so terrible, so beautiful and so horrible, so precious and so dreadful. That's what the things that come out of our mouth can do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us these tongues of ours that we haven't really given much thought to sometimes. Father, I pray that you would help us to step back from our life and think about how we have used our tongues. Lord, help us to take greater care on how we handle these tools of ours, these weapons of our tongue and our words. Lord, I pray, as David said, that you would set a watch before our mouth. Keep the door of our lips. Help us, Father, to be 
of that ilk that use our words to bless others, to build others up, to exhort others to live for your glory, to get saved. Lord, your, your word is living, it's quick, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. But Lord, your, your word always is, is good, though men will twist it for their own destruction. And Lord, help us to use our words and your word for good, to bring glory to our great God. And we'll thank you. We ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.